Hello and welcome to the Writing Your Best Self podcast with me, Georgina Elmashady. Journaling is an incredible self-improvement practice that will help you cultivate the introspection and self-awareness you need to become your best self. Each week, we explore tried and tested techniques along with journaling prompts to help you dig deeper into yourself so you can leverage the wisdom within to achieve your biggest goals and create your best life. Let's get writing. Welcome back to another episode and this one is an extra special episode because yep it's another in our inspirational interview series and this week I'm super excited to introduce you to Dax Moy. Now Dax is a transformational coach from the UK and his focus is all about helping his clients to make miracles. Now as you're going to hear in this episode Dax is a man who has truly truly lived. So he survived the tsunami He's served in the forces. He's helped countless people through his coaching practices. And he's also an avid journaler and note taker, which is one of the reasons I was so excited to interview him. Now, as you'll hear, Dax is straight talking. He has a tough love style. And just heads up, there are a few, let's say, choice words in this episode. So I do invite you to take note if you are listening to this episode around your children. But all the words are in context and I just know you're going to take so much away from this rich conversation, which is packed with insights and proven techniques from a powerful coach who's here to help you live a powerful life inspired through action to help you get committed to the things that you want to create yourself in the years to come. So without further ado, I will hand you over to the episode. I'm super excited for you to meet Dax. He is someone that I've worked with myself personally. Actually, he's the reason that I decided to take on my daily walk challenge. And 5th of January 2021 is going to be my one year anniversary. And that commitment was possible because of Dax's support. So over to the episode. I hope you enjoy and I'll speak to you soon. So Dax, hey, welcome to the Writing Your Best Self podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm really excited to dive into journaling from, from your perspective and pull out all the wisdom that I know you have. So let's... Well, let's... I hope I've got some wisdom. <laughs> it's, let, it's yet to be decided yet. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'll go down the route of idiocy or something like that. <laughs> uh, I know you absolutely do have because I have <laughs> first-hand knowledge of, of working with you and doing some of your, your, um, your courses and things. So I just know firsthand that like, the impact that you've had on myself. So I'm really excited to share with all our listeners today like what you know about journaling and so it's, it's gonna be an awesome, awesome conversation so um i'd love to just dive right in and ask you like the, the obvious question what got you into journaling um journaling wasn't a wasn't a natural first step for me um i come from a kind of a you know what most people call a very working class background very kind of rough and ready i grew up on council estates or for the us us people that be kind of like living in the equivalent of the projects um you know that's that's how i grew up to to very very working class people who were kind of very rough and ready take it take it or leave it that's not to say they weren't educated but it was like you know you you took care of business there and then it wasn't kind of introspective deep thinking navel gazing and all that kind of stuff and in fact they would be the kind of things that you would most likely get um get put down a bit over you know kind of certainly certainly in my youth and in the area where where i lived people people would kind of be 
laughed at, <laughs> to, to say the least. They'd be laughed at if, if it was kind of found that you were spending a bit of time in your own head every day and writing down your thoughts. It's a, it's a strange thought, really, when you think about it, that, that people, yeah. you know, people are going to put you down for that. But, but it's true. That's where it came from. Um, I joined the military very, very young. I was uh, 16 when I joined the parachute regiment. And one of the things that I noticed, again, very rough and ready culture, but one of the things that I noticed there was that the military kind of have a specific way of doing everything, like literally everything from having a shave, to have, like you get taught how to shower, like a, an instructor gets in the shower naked and teaches you how to wash yourself in the shower. Right? Seriously. And demonstrates everything, right? How to wash between your toes and your groin, and literally everything. You get taught to shave, you get taught to iron, you get taught how to make, make your beds. And this is going somewhere, I promise. Um, and one of the things I've noticed about soldiers in general and elite soldiers in particular um, is that they are very, they have very strong identities and are very well defined. Okay, kind of certainly within the realms of being a soldier, we can we can have all kinds of conversations about who they are as civilians later on. But kind of as soldiers, they're very very well defined, have very strong sense of identity, both at at the individual level, the unit level the regiment level, the battalion, like, just goes on. Like, it, the identity is extremely strong. And they they write everything down. So every lesson that they learn from combat, every lesson that they learn from training men or training women, uh, kind of every single lesson gets written down somewhere. And with the purpose of being that no no lesson ever goes wasted. No, no, you know, it can be the tiniest tweak. It can be the tiniest thing. Like, what we found was we were training our men in, um, in training camp to load their weapons like this, but when they're in the field and and kind of bullets and bombs are flying and all the rest of it, you find that they get shaky hands and they can't concentrate and they then seconds cost lives in the battlefield. So what we've learned from from battle is to do it this way instead, and that gets written down. That gets part that gets passed back so that everybody benefits from it. The the point I'm I'm making here is that the kind of the the earliest introduction to really logging things down, logging your observations, logging your successes and your failures. Because the army do that too. Like we did, they have what's called an AAR, an after action report, where, where they discuss everything that went well in a, in a mission, but also everything that went poorly. So that you can, you can learn from the good and the bad, if you want to put it that way, the successful, the unsuccessful. And so that was my first observation of writing things down. So I think my, my early stuff was just literally, I tried this, it worked, and trying to analyze why it worked. And then later on, I tried that, it didn't work. And then say, well, it worked up to that point was working. Step A seemed to be okay. Step B seemed to be okay. Step C, that's where it got a bit ragged. And then I'd, I would start to kind of, you know, as you'll know from working with me, I'm quite a systematic person. Um, and everything that I do is based around this idea of, of building these building these processes that you can rely upon again and again and again. So that you don't have to reinvent the wheel every five minutes. You say, oh, I have a process for that. And the army was probably the first place that taught me that, that kind of to have a process and to have a process of um, what, I, what we would now, I guess, call introspection. They didn't really look, really look at it. Though. They weren't teaching you to be introspective. They were teaching you to be analytical, to really actually have an eye for what's working and what's not, so that you could be a better soldier, ultimately, so that you can carry out the mission better. But I think that's where, that's where it kind of all started for, for me. Kind of that's where, that's where, Again, what I would now call being introspective was made to be okay, because it was and it was very technical and it was a very kind of high high level kind of thing. But it was, it was taking a thirty foot view of whatever was going on on the battlefield or in training or in whatever whatever was happening and saying, 
how can we make this better and how can we iron out the wrinkles? And, you know, coming from a bunch of very, very tough men, um, you know, my regiment was all men. It, were, it wasn't a kind of a, there were no female roles in that regiment. So coming from a, a group of very, very tough men and saying it was okay to look at and look at kind of how things were performing and, and break them down and analyze them and, and kind of come back with better plans. That kind of started me on the process of making it okay. It wasn't a wimpy thing to do. It wasn't a weird thing to do. It wasn't um, navel-gazing for the sake of navel-gazing. It was performance-related observations. And I still think of it in many respects uh, as that. Like, uh, Obviously, what I now do in my journaling process is I observe a lot more than the Army ever taught me to observe. And kind of, there's a lot more aspects in terms of feelings and emotions and where my mood is at and where my energy is at and all that kind of stuff. But ultimately, it's, it's still kind of performance-related tracking. So it's saying, how, how are things running at the moment? How do I want them to run? What's in the middle? What's my experiment for the day going to be? And that's how I think about journaling. Like my morning journal is always about my day's experiments. Who am I going to try and be? How am I going to try and approach life today? What's, what's the thing that I would like to, like to know or feel or experience or have by the end of the day? And then later on, we were able to come back and say, well, how did that go? Kind of that, that was the theory. How did it play out in practice? And again, the Army, the army was the first place that made, made that possible for me, I think. The, the, the first part. And it, you know, it's a very unlikely place when you think about it. You know, most yes, people yeah. don't think about journaling coming from military. Yeah. But I think I've always... I've always looked at things a little bit differently to most people anyway. So in historically now, if I look back, I can see that I was always a little bit of that introspective person anyway. I just needed the permission to be it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, needed, I needed somebody, people that I respected who said, no, kind of looking, looking into stuff like this is not only okay, it's really smart to do that. And, uh, and the military were the first people that made it okay to kind of to, to do that. And then over time, I, I guess you could say that I've, I've learned to, ju- um, learned to um, judge and journal the, the softer and, and less tangible aspects mm-hmm. of the mission, if you will. Right? Mm-hmm. Back then, it was all the hard aspects. Kind of, where, where did we put the men? What, 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 you know, did we have enough fuel in the trucks? Did we have enough bullets? All that kind of stuff. Kind of, but now, now the softer side, including feelings, emotions, kind of all of that side of stuff is there. So I'm, I'm curious to know, uh, this introspective process of like analyzing and looking at the processes and things. How, how does that work from, how does it actually work from a, like a development perspective? Like what are we actually doing when we're looking at our lives through that kind of lens? How does that help us make life better for us? What we're really doing, and when, when you boil it all down, when you strip away all the kind of the, the various layers, what we're really doing is we're going for an act of self-definition. Basically kind of the, you know, Human beings are, we're only fairly recently human, right? <laughs> kind of the, the best way to think about that, we're only fairly recently human, kind of in a not too distant past, we were much, much more kind of animalistic, right? And so you've, you've no, no doubt heard of triune brain theory, the, the reptile, the mammal, the human, all that kind of stuff. And there are, there are plenty of good things about that. that model. It's, it's, a, it's a loosely, loose, loosened kind of broad model, but it's, it's roughly true, but not necessarily in the way that everyone talks about it. But you could say, Historically, we have been more animal, more mammal than human. Okay, and those, though, from a mammalian perspective, our brain wants certain things to be in place, right? So, kind of the the, first, the most important thing to the mammal is that we are we're accepted 
connected and cared for by a community, right? In other words, our herd, our tribe, our, our group, our, whatever you want to call it, but we are part of a collective, right? So, so kind of from a mammalian perspective, we're always we're always kind of safe when we're in our group, in our tribe. Now, in order in order to kind of most effectively remain part of the tribe, remain, remain part of the group, remain part of the herd. What we what we also need to have is uh, we need to have an understanding of what the what the group's um, morality, values, beliefs, kind of all of that side of things are. We, we have to have a clear picture of that, and we also have have to have a clear picture of who we are indivi- as individuals within that collective. Okay. And the more we match the collective, the safer we feel, right? But it's very possible, you know, as, as we've all felt at various times in our life that we're with the wrong collective. It kind of, we feel out of sorts. We feel, well, you know, like, and it could be the collective might be my family. It collective might be my town. It might be my religion. It might be any number of things, but we can, we can often feel that, you know, I'm, I'm 80% in alignment with the collective, but there's this 20% stuff over here where things that they say and things that they do and things that they believe and how they act and how they speak to other people, whatever, it jars me and it doesn't sit well with me. And this creates this kind of dissonance, this cognitive dissonance where we're kind of, we're neither here nor there. We're not, we're not fully immersed in our group and we don't fully own our own journey yet because we're, we're still kind of giving a lot of credence to the, to the other. And, and so journaling is really about self-definition. It's about saying, who am I? Like, who am I right now? Like, literally, how am I showing up in my life? Because how we're showing up is a good indicator of who we are. Like, we, we, as we kind of, as we behave, so we believe. If you can, you can say the words, oh, I think everybody deserves um, equal opportunities. And I, I, I believe everyone has the right to their opinion. You can, we can say that at an intellectual level. Mm-hmm. But when we, when we look at our behavior, we can see that, okay, well, I don't like those Trumps, but they're not allowed to say it. Not just that they have a different opinion, but I feel really strongly that they shouldn't even be allowed to say that. And let me have a look at that religious group over there. I don't think they should be allowed to do that. And let me have a look at, kind of these people with these sexual uh, sexual preferences or gender identity, well, they can't do that. So on the one level, we could be talking a really good talk about the kind of person that we'd like to meet ourselves at. But on another level, when we, when we assess our behavior, what we're really starting to see is what we really believe, right? Behavior is the best identifier, the best indicator of, of belief. And so we can get trapped in this cycle without ever realizing it. Like life feels pretty crappy to us. We're always at war with someone, <clears throat> whether that be our partners, our you know, church or other political party, whatever it is, but we're always at war with someone. But we always hold this higher up idea that, no, I'm, I'm essentially a good person. I believe that people should be allowed to do X, Y, and Z. And it's only when we start to analyze our behaviors that we can say, oh, right, so that's what I really believe. I really believe that you... Certain people have a right to free speech and certain people have a right to gender or, or sexual expressions. But actually, you kind of, I don't believe that's true for everybody and I do believe there are limits. That's neither a good nor bad thing, by the way. I'm not, I'm not saying that you should conform to, to other people. What I'm saying is it's very easy, that, easy for us to go through life not really knowing ourselves. And so what journaling does, it actually allows you to, to start to say, let, instead of just getting caught up in the, in the pie in the sky kind of dreamy thinking, which it, there is a place for that in general, of course. But the most valuable place to start is actually the observation of your own behaviors. 
right? I claim that I believe these things, but actually my behaviors make me a liar every day. I believe the most important thing to do is tell your children every day that you love them and demonstrate to them. And then every day you're screaming at the kids and they're like, it doesn't mean, there is, you know, I've got four kids and I've screamed at my kids a fair bit, right? But what I'm saying is each one of us has these ideas about who the, the fantasies about who we would like to be. But that's not the same as your true belief. They're, they're the fantasy. That's the kind of, oh, wouldn't it be nice if I actually was the, the kind of person who woke up every morning like Mother Teresa or the Dalai Lama or, you know, kind of, and I could, you know, I was the best cook in the world and the best family person. And we've got these ideas, these fantasies, but very often our, our fantasies about ourselves are nowhere near what we really believe. And what we really believe is only really evidenced through our behavior. Journaling allows us, if we're, if we're prepared to be fully honest with ourselves, journaling allows us to actually look at the behavior, not from a, from a judgmental and critical position, or you can do, but kind of the best way to do it is not for a judgmental or, or critical position, but to say, what did I actually do today? How did I actually show up? And then to reverse engineer that and say, well, okay, if I showed up that way, what must, even if it's just for that moment in time, what must I have been believing at that moment? I must have been believing that actually the, you know, the, the shouting down the Trump supporters or the kind of, you know, having a go at these other people or screaming at my kids, I must have believed that that was a, that was a more justified thing for, that, for those circumstances. Right? As we start to break down what we, were, what we were believing, it gives us the opportunity to then redefine and remember, is that really true for me? Is that how I want to experience myself tomorrow? Like if I show up tomorrow, with those same behaviors based upon those same beliefs, is that the best representation of me that I can think of right now? Or is there another, another way I want to be? Right. That's oh. why this becomes <laughs> so important. That's why, but like generally isn't just about, Oh, today I was feeling a little, like we can do that. We can do it. It's what I call the, what I call the flowery and fluffy journaling. Right. Uh-huh. And, Please, for anybody that's listening to me, I'm, like, if, if you do flowery and fluffy, fluffy journaling, I'm, I'm all for it, right? There, there's definitely a place for that. Like our yep. dreamy fantasy, kind of paint the, paint the big broad strokes, all that stuff, that, there is a place for it. So I'm not denigrating or putting it down. But what I'm saying is, if you truly want to um, redefine yourself in a way that's going to move you closer to the fantasy of who you like, you know, the Mother Teresa, the Dalai Lama, like, if you really want to redefine yourself in a way that's going to move you closer to your fantasy, your dream self, then it must start with your behaviors. It must start with how am I already showing up? Not how do I want to show up next, but how am I already showing up? Because what you believe is informing how you, how you behave. So if you want to behave differently, you have to, you have to have a transformation in what you believe. In fact, there's no, there, there can be no transformation in, in kind of the outcomes, like the, the, the outcomes of, because if you think about it, we believe something, we behave something, and then we go and actually have that thing come true in our life, right? We, because of our behaviors, because of something we did, something else happens. If you want to transform your life, you've got to go all the way back to what you believe. Right. Right. And the only way to make going back to what you believe a truly um, impactful and powerful exercise is to start with your current behaviors. What am I actually doing? How am I actually showing up? So I guess your current behaviors are like the way you're physically showing up in the world. And yeah. if that's influenced by your thoughts and your beliefs, like you might be lying to yourself about what your beliefs actually are, but your behaviors don't actually lie. Right. So by shining the light on the behaviors, 
you can then backtrack and see actually what what is your neuroprogramming what is the things that what is the actual programming you're using to create the life you have right as you behave so you believe right and really our beliefs at every level that we we've come to kind of understand this our, our beliefs are really our identity right our beliefs are our identity and the great news is that we can believe something new which means that we can shift our identity almost anytime we will you know anytime we will it but I want, I want to know myself as a different version of me. Up until this point, I, I used to think this way. I used to do things this way. You know, I, these were the things that I, that I believed. These were the foundations that my morals were, have been based upon. And morals, are, um, morals are like a superset of beliefs anyway. They're, and they're usually just borrowed from your tribe, right? Mm-hmm. So your tribe tell you that, that you mustn't do these things and you must always do these things, right? And so kind of morals, beliefs, values all of all of these aspects they all come together and to form what we call our identity and we can shift that at any time we we damn well please and in fact we have done multiple times who you were as a little girl is different to who you were as a as a an adolescent is different to who you were you know when when you became um kind of sexually and romantically active is different to who you who eventually end up becoming as a mother and so on and so forth right and even within those roles, we reinvent ourselves multiple times as well. We're doing it all the time. And for some reason, people, people have got it in their mind that identity is formed and it's solid and it can't be shifted. And yet we do it all the time. And what, so, I'm hearing, what I'm hearing you say is like journaling is this tool that can help you like consciously create your identity. But yes. it starts with your behaviors because that is, that's the only truthful place you can really start because your behaviors can't lie. Right. So can you can you dive into a little bit about uh, if someone's never done this before, if someone's never sat down to journal around their behaviours, how would you actually go about that process so that you can start to get to the beliefs and the thoughts and, and understand what they are, what's what's in the background? I mean, it's it's in many respects, it's a simple case of reverse engineering, right? And I always say to people that that start this process to reverse engineer from the what you might call the positive, and the positive is really just. The things that turned out the way turned out the way or better than you expected them to do as a result of your actions, right? So, okay, today I said I was going to, you know, before before we went on, you said that you were, you'd been um, doing walking every day, right? And it kind of you you you'd, you know been achieving this kind of transformative aspect of bringing bringing these daily walks into your life. So, this morning I said I was going for a walk. I went for a walk, right? Therefore, it actually happened, right? The thing that I said was going to happen, happened. Okay, who must I have been to do that? Like, what must I have been thinking? What must I have been prioritizing? What were some of the things that wanted to get in the way of that happening, but that I was, was still able to consciously overrule and say, yeah, I know I've got that call with Dax at 10.30, and I know I've got this going on, and I know I've got that going on, but the walk is really bloody important, so I'm doing it, right? What was the process that you went through, and what was the... When I say process, in many respects, you could say, what was the rationalization or justification for saying, actually, no, my, my walk is, is just as important, if not more so, than all the other things that are vying for my attention. What must you have believed, right? What must you have believed in order to say, no matter what happens, I'm going for my walk today. So now, now you start to go, well, you know, I'm, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but if I was, if I was doing that, I might go, well, I've got to... I've, on one level, I've got to believe it's good for me. Another level, I've got to believe that um, 
um, keeping the commitments I make to myself is is as important as kind of some of these other things. On another level, I've got to believe that it's it's making me a better person um, for certain other aspects of my life. Maybe kind of gives me that time to, where I get my sanity back before I deal with the kids who are going to drive yeah. me nuts. All the, all these things, right? But what you start to see is that once you break down the break down the action into its beliefs, you can say, "Yeah, I there is there is an actual process to me being unstoppable. There's a process to me being seeing my commitments through, and that process." nestles on top of your identity in such a way that after a while you say if i don't do this i feel out of integrity with myself yeah right yeah that, that's what that's what starts to happen well right. when we're saying we feel out of integrity with ourselves what we're really saying is something something is nudged or bumped into or or caused us to not be the version of ourselves we said we'd be in other words it's we're kind of something is out of alignment with the identity we hope ourselves to experience Right, and so that's the that's the simplest way to look at. Start with the successful things and reverse engineer them. Today I said I was going to, and I did. Right, what were the, what were the things that tried to get in the way of that? Or kind of what were all the other other things I could have done that could have pulled me out of it? Okay, why didn't I? Why didn't I use that excuse? Why didn't I tell that story? Why didn't I say, well, screw it, just one day won't hurt, and all that kind of stuff. And now we start to start to move ourselves back to what we really believe. And we can borrow those same beliefs for other areas of our life. And we can inject them back in. Say, well, wait, I wonder if I approach some of the other areas of my life that I'm struggling with, with my commitment, with my identity, if I approach them in the same way. And we can, we can borrow from those ideas. And of course, it's going to be slightly nuanced. It might be a little bit different in a relationship mm-hmm. than it is in a business, than it is in your walking. Than it, but but the same general ideas are going to hold true. I love the idea about like what, how the thing you do in one area of your life can then apply to other areas of your life, which I guess that if you're conscious of that, it enables right. you to make more transformation, but quicker, because you can just borrow the same process and that could right. be applied to something else. rather than right. start from scratch. Absolutely. Because some parts are universal, like, um, setting the intention, setting it, and if you've really set the intention, you can't say you've set an intention without also setting aside the time and the resources, mm-hmm. right? Well, I've got an intention tomorrow to go for go for my walk, right? Well, when are you going to fit in? I don't know. I said it's a chocolate block day. I'll find I'll find the time somewhere. You don't really have an intention. You have a hope. You have oh. a hope that you're going to fit a walk in tomorrow. If you have an intention, an intention actually has has a it's married to time and resources. Right. What time will I need for it, and what resources will I need to to make that possible? Right. You know, in your case, it might be that you need childcare, or you need to have already spoken to your partner to say, "I'm taking my walk at ten thirty. Um, I'll be gone for an hour. Can you watch the kids?" Right. Kind of the resource might be another person. It might be an actual thing. Right. It might it might be you know it might be another group of people. Right. Like you want to do masterminding, but nobody else wants to get on the call. <laughs> right. So like you. You kind of you set the intention for this podcast, but you but you don't send me the uh, don't send me the invite. Then it's just a hope and a vague kind of fantasy wish dream. And it, this is how you can see how a lot of people actually they stay stuck in their fantasy lands because they don't set the set the intention truly in terms of saying kind of you know what's the time and the resources needed in order to take this intention to a reality. One of, the, one of the kind of best things that I can, I can say about kind of the, the coaching that I do with my clients 
is that you can you can smell out fantasies and you can smell out hopes and you can smell out dreams um, that aren't really going to go anywhere based upon that simple that simple part of the equation. Okay, where where are you setting aside the time and what resources are you going to need? If somebody can't describe that, they all they all they are is in fantasy land. And if the fantasy makes you feel good, that's that's cool, right? We can all have our fantasies. The the challenge is fantasies that are left for a long time unfulfilled start to become sub stories that run like um, kind of it. Excuse my French, you might have, you might have to bleep this at some point, but depending on your audience. But but kind of um, kind of fears, frustrations, failures, and fuck ups. Right? That's kind of how you know un, unfulfilled fantasies fantasies start to move us into oh what if i never get there fears right kind of oh this is taking so long i seem to be working my butt off every day and i'm doing everything that they're telling me to do but i don't seem to be getting here with frustrations right the 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 failures like i'm doing this and i'm only getting so far and it never really finally gets me all the fuck-ups and when i say fuck-ups what what i'm really talking about is feeling like a fuck-up right i'm nothing i'm never going to get anywhere with this this is and this is the problem with with having ourselves exposed to a fantasy over and over and over again that doesn't have this next stage of saying well what are what are kind of the what are the beliefs that i need to have in place and if i really had those beliefs what would be the time and the resources that i need in order to take the steps with okay but you know kind of fears frustrations failures and fuck-ups these are these all come out of out of unfulfilled fantasies and when i say unfulfilled not just because uh, they're really difficult and it's taking years to, years to get there. But the sense that we're not really making any progress with them, one step forward, two steps back usually, mm-hmm. because for the simple reason that we haven't done anything to turn them into reality. And again, journaling can answer that because when we go through this process, we can say, what did I do that I set out to do? Okay. Who did I have to be in order to, in order to do that? And in, in part of that, who did I need, have to be? You can also, also look and say, well, Ah, oh, look, I set aside time and I got the resources in place. Ah, well, that's a universal that you can borrow for literally any goal or anything, any transformation that you're trying to achieve in your life. We pull it across and we say time and, you know, beliefs certainly, and from those beliefs must be an element of if I truly believe in this, my belief would, will include time, resources. If I haven't set aside those two things, I'm just, uh, I'm just kind of playing around in fantasy land. So we can do it from the, sorry, go on. I just say that's just such a powerful measure. Like just be aware of, are you allocating time and resources? And if you're not, then you know you're like, you're killing yourself. You, like you yeah. say, you're living in that, in that fantasy world. And yeah. I'm, I'm curious, so why, why do people get stuck there? Why do we get stuck in the fantasy and believing, pretending we're moving things forward when actually, if you say, if you start to look at the behaviours, you realise that nothing is ever going to change because you're not, investing the time and the and the and the energy why do we get stuck we get stuck there usually because of of an identity sticking point um and so we've like i don't like to say good or bad right or wrong as as you know right so kind of i come from but my my thinking this is largely informed through buddhist philosophy and buddhists don't talk about good bad right and wrong what they talk about is skillful unskillful skillful being given what i set out to do did did my actions make that happen or more likely to happen? Unskillful is given what I set out to do, did my actions or lack thereof make it less likely to happen or impossible, right? And so you see a lot of us are acting unskillfully. But remember, 
belief informs behavior, right? Kind of as, as, you, as you believe, so you behave. So if we're behaving unskillfully, we must also at the same time believe something that's unskillful. And very often those, these are sometimes unchallenged faulty beliefs, unchallenged unskillful beliefs about ourselves and about situations. People like me don't do that. Um, people from working class communities, that they can't go on to be six-figure earners. You have to be a professional and you have to you know, climb the ranks and spend decades. And people like, you know, no one's ever going to buy um, my program at that price point. And all, like these are all like, identity-based beliefs, usually about us or about the people that we're trying to influence. Mm-hmm. Right? So this is where, where kind of identity is, it becomes really interesting because we're in this constant interplay between our identity, who I see myself as being and not being, I'm not that and I am that, and also who we see the people that we're trying to influence as being and not being. They'll never do that or they better do that or like <laughs> any, number, any number of kind of things in there. Now, what a lot of people spend, one of the reasons why people get kind of trapped in either inactivity or constant unskillful activity is because they spend so much of their time trying to figure out these people, the outsiders, right? Now, the trouble is like kind of the outsiders, they're, they're not a single brain, right? <laughs> it, even us as individuals, we don't operate just on one brain anyway. We've got our human part, our mammalian part, you could say our reptilian part. We've got three brains constantly cycling, trying to figure things out. Now, you multiply that by the size of the group of the people that you're trying to figure out, right? Kind of all of those people out there, I want, I want the world to know that I am this. So what, we, what we, we're constantly trying to mind read uh, uh, an infinite number of people. And even if it's not infinite, we're tr- constantly trying to mind read the few hundred people that we've got in our Facebook tribe or our group or whatever, right? Pretty much impossible. And pretty much impossible to help those people identify with the, with the identity that would best serve them whilst you yourself are still in flux with your own identity. The only thing that really makes sense is to say, I'm going to dedicate my life not to figuring other people out, but to figuring me out. And this is where journaling comes back in again, right? Because you say, well, I'm just in that, you know, all these questions that apply to me where I'm saying, well, you said you were going to do this, but you did that instead. Well, why the hell did you do that? You go, well, I don't know, but you spend enough time with it and you start breaking it down and the beliefs that sponsored it. You go, oh, I understand myself that a little bit more now. And as you understand yourself more, as you meet the world with greater and greater levels of certainty about yourself, right. this is what we're really talking about is certainty. Right. As our certainty of self starts to build up, we're able to share that certainty with other people. Other people that are also rocky and shaky and they're out there in the world and they're going, oh, I don't know if this is ever going to work for me. And you say, hold on, like, I can't guarantee it's going to work for you, but let me tell you some things that, that have happened to me in my life and how I've managed to use some of these skills. And they go, wow, I've never really thought of it that way. Can you tell me more, please? And this is where, where they, that, they now start leaning into you a little right? People are ultimately attracted. The most I always describe myself whenever I go to a place. Uh, I've, I've said this at numerous talks, and it doesn't matter whether, whether I'm on stage in Vegas to like 500 people or in a room of 30 or whatever. But I always describe myself as the most attractive person in the room, right? And people look at me and like, what? Right? And I, I'm not talking about you know being being kind of the most beautiful or the best dressed or having the most money or any of that kind of stuff or the highest level of education or anything. But certainty is the most attractive quality, certainty. We are attracted. So this is why, you know, you're, 
you're going through life and you're you're not sure whether you're ever going to make it. You meet a person who is really certain of themselves and by, and it by extension starts to lend you some of that certainty. Suddenly you're ready to shift. Right? We're all attracted to the most certain people. Now I'm not talking about the the the, the fake certain, which is arrogance, right? People, the, the arrogant, yeah. conceited people that are uh, that are at a dinner party kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But whenever you meet a person who's just so full of certainty, it's really attractive. And I job really because it's it's the it's the driving requirement for the human brain. The human brain is a basically it's a prediction machine. That's right. all it is. It's a it's a pattern recognition machine, right? The brain looks to us looks to our surroundings and it chooses a pattern. And so I'm sat in my conservatory at the moment, which feels like a greenhouse and I'm sweating like crazy bird. Um, but I'm, I'm sat I'm sat in my conservatory at the moment and I look around and I see the walls and I look at the ceiling and stuff and I have certainty that it's not about to fall down on my head, right? Because of all, all the patterns of life up to this point, I've said, well, everything looks solid, it looks in its, own, its right place. Because of that certainty, I can release all of my safety issues and come across to this highfalutin kind of intellectual conversation with you, right? And, get, and give myself over to that aspect of my humanity. If I was sat in a place and there's bullets and bombs going off or there's a hurricane or or, you know, kind of parts of the wall start crumbling while we're here. Do you think I'm going to sit here and finish the podcast? Oh, yeah. Right? <laughs> right? Kind of, there's all dust coming down from the ceiling and there's creaking and everything else, right? So our brain is a pattern recognition machine. It uses those patterns to, to create predictions. And it uses those predictions to answer the question, am I safe? And once it says, yes, I'm safe, it says, am I connected? Right? And it's kind of like, so the... The, the brain, the mammalian brain then just kind of kicks in and says, well, are there important people around or people that are important to me? Am I, can, do I have connections? Yes. The next thing it says is, okay, so where do I fit into that hierarchy? Because after connection, the brain likes hierarchy. And the, the mammalian brain, it says, first off, I need to be connected. And then I need to know where I stand in the hierarchy and preferably the higher, the better. Right? Go, okay. Well, yes, you're safe physically. Yes, you're connected. Yes, you've got a, you've you've kind of it's not as high as you'd like it to be, but you're in a fairly decent place in the hierarchy. Um, that's all cool. And then it says, okay, well, given that the we call that the animal parts of the brain have been taken care of, let me go and play in the playground of the human brain. All that forward thinking stuff, and that imagineering stuff, and that fantasizing stuff, and that dreaming stuff, and that goal setting stuff. Let me go and see how I can make some of that. Right. We only get to go and play in the playground of the human brain once the animal brains are taken care of. Right? And so what we're really, really looking for as much as possible in our, in our kind of sense of creating prediction and response of creating, creating this certainty is that the certainty starts with us. I don't know what Dax Moy is going to say when we get on this call. I've got a fair idea because I've heard him talk before and I've worked with him before. But I don't know exactly and certainly not word to word. But you know, uh, what I do know is that who I'm going to be in this call with Dax is based upon my morals, my values, my beliefs. So I'm going to show up as a point of certainty in the call. And that, what that means is that any uncertainty that Dax brings to the call doesn't shake me, doesn't rock me, it doesn't mess things up. Right? And that's the best way for any of us to go through life is to say, I am the point of certainty in my own life. I, I, we don't even know who our children are going to be next, next year. Right. We don't know kind of, you know, what I mean is we don't know. Are they going to think about life the same way? Are they going to behave to us in the same way? We like to think they will. We don't know for certain. 
we don't know for certain things about our partners. We don't know certain things about our jobs. We don't know for certain things about the economy or as we've seen with the pandemic and all the rest of it. All these things out in the world are all uncertain. Our job then is to become the most certain version of ourselves. Like I don't know who everybody else in the world is going to be over the coming days, weeks, months, and years and decades. I don't know how they're going to be. I don't know what the economy is going to look like. I, you know, don't know who I'm going to be with, where I'm going to live. I've got thoughts of what, how I'd like it to be, but I don't know for certain. What I do know for certain is that I'm going to meet the world with this moral framework, with this set of beliefs, as long as it serves me, with this way of behaving and acting. Right? That's where our certainty comes from, and that's how we become the most attractive person in the room, not only to those people that we interact with, but to ourselves. When we're attracted to ourselves, we are confident. That's what confidence is. That's what self-esteem is. I'm attracted to myself. In other words, kind of to, to backtrack on myself just a little bit there, I'm certain. I have a high degree of certainty about myself. Therefore, I trust myself. And that's really what self-esteem is, self-confidence is. Self-esteem is the promises I made to myself that I kept. That's what self-esteem is. Wow. <laughs> right? Wow, okay. Okay. And so when we, when we see our, when, when we say, I said I was going to be this. I was, I was it. I said I was going to do this. I did it. I said I was going to kind of, you know, when, not just when the good things were happening, but when the shit hit the fan, I said I was going to be in this way. That's, that's who I was. Great. Like, do you know what? I'm really starting to trust myself. Trust is just another way of saying certainty, right? Kind of. So, so I'm really starting to trust myself here. Like things I say I'm going to do, I mostly do. Things I, things I say I'm not going to do, I mostly don't. Wow, I kind of I'm starting to trust myself. My self-esteem goes up, right? My confidence goes up. As my self my confidence self-esteem goes up, I feel more comfortable showing up in the world to other people in a, in what most people would now call a more authentic way. I'm not hiding behind masks, I'm not playing games, I'm not trying to put up a facade or trying to get you to you to see me in a way that's not me, just so that you value me more. I'm trying I'm I'm actually saying, here's me. Like you know, there's what what you see is what you get. And I might be different in a year's time when I've reassessed my behaviors and when I've reassessed my beliefs and when I've asked myself the new set of questions. But right now, you've, you are meeting the best version of me that I know how to be at this moment in time. And that that is that's true for whether you are, you know, so we've said about breaking down the, the positive, but you do the, exactly the same with, it, with, with what you might call the negative or the unskillful, right? Where you, where you say, I said I was going to do this. I didn't do it. Okay, my behavior, I said I was going to come out the door and turn left, then I came out the door and turned right. What was that all about? Right? Well, what must I have believed? And what must, you know, and then, then you go, well, what, what, was the, what was the time and the resources that I allocated for that? And we start to break things down. We start to ask ourselves who we would have had to have been in order to have turned right instead of turning left when we promised ourselves to turn left. And we can do that without recrimination. We can do that without um, excessive criticism. We can do it from a, from a data versus drama perspective. What must I have been thinking in order to make going right seem like a better choice than the one I'd already planned? All morning in my head, come out the gate, turn left, come out the gate, turn left, come out the gate, turn left. When, as soon as my hand got on the gate, I doubted myself and I turned right. Who must, what must I have been believing at that moment of time? Yeah. And so this is, this is why it's so important that we, 
we look to our behaviors first. Like if, if your journaling isn't really looking toward your behavior and all it's doing is ever looking toward your feelings. And it's not to say there isn't a place of feeling. There really is a place of feeling. Feelings also sponsor our behaviors, right? Mm -hmm. But if all we're ever doing is, is solely sitting in the, in the feelings end of things, it's, it's kind of like, uh, again, you might leave it out, I don't know, but it's kind of like mental masturbation. We're playing with fantasies. We're just saying, oh, well, I, sh I should have been like this. And, right? Instead of saying, well, okay, the, the feelings part is important. Like, as I backtrack now, I go, what did I say I was going to do? What, what, okay, I didn't do it. Why? Okay, what were my beliefs? And, you know, there might have been feelings that were sponsoring the beliefs, or there might have been beliefs that were sponsoring those feelings. And so that, that's, that's a natural part to explore. Like, what was I feeling at that moment in time? But if we're not starting with our, with our behaviors, we're nearly always playing around in the land of fantasy as opposed to the land of reality. And we want to we wanna kind of be, to get the most skillful approach to developing certainty, because that's what all of this is about, right? right. Journaling, life in general, we, kind of, we want move to move toward we want to have as much certainty in our life as we possibly can to give ourselves the courage to go and play in the uncertain. Which is where the magic kind of happens and the extra right. growth and all that kind of right. dream fantasy stuff can happen, but only if, if Yeah, if, if my life is 90% certain, we go, I know who I'm going to be, how I'm going to be, how I'm going to show up. All of that is 90% certain. Now there's this really uncertain bit over here. You know, I want to put together a new program and I don't know if anyone's going to buy it and I'm like, oh, if they'll pay, pay for it at that price and Right? But we, we now have the courage and confidence to go and play in the uncertainty. But when, we, when our life has too much uncertainty, too little prediction, too little response pre-factored in, everything now becomes scary because instead of, instead of the uncertainty kind of marking 5% to 10% of our existence, our identity, our lives, that uncertainty is just a, another, another cup of uncertainty into an already full bucket. Right? We go, the bucket is not 99% full of uncertainty as it is, and you've just gone and poured more in. And this is how we, we become shaken. And then I guess and you so, can the other way then, don't you? If, you? if you then put more uncertainty and then you undermine your confidence, you undermine your courage, you undermine your self-trust, and then you right. don't have that solid foundation. Whereas if right. you focus on the certainty, you create the confidence and it can compound the spiral the other way, which then opens up life in multiple multitude of different things that right. you didn't even realize were possible. I think that's what you're saying right and and so you know this is this is why it's so important to in, in one of my programs the guru project that you know i i use this kind of this pathway that i lay out it says the first part will be familiar to to most people right um on on the on the temple of apollo at delphi know thyself right in the guru project i talk about know yourself grow yourself show yourself right as a pathway most people are trying to show themselves very very early and they're trying to say this is me and and you know they're they're wearing their masks and they've got their facades up and everything else but as soon as somebody bumps up against them as soon as something goes wrong the mask crumbles the facade falls and and right. kind of now they're full of doubt again that's because most people are trying to come in from the other end and which is you could say fake it till you make it right which is show if you show yourself as your first quarter of call mm -hmm. like a lot of people say you know they borrow from that nike thing just do it there are, there, are, there are places in our life to just do it. Um, but at, a, at an identity level, when we, when we just do it, we take a huge amount of risk on ourselves. And when we fail by showing ourselves we're not re really ready, we very often limit, our, limit ourselves to future endeavors. We kind of hold, we go, 
I don't ever want to fail that big again. I'm sure I'm, as I'm speaking, most people will have an experience of that. Oh, I really put myself out there, went wrong. It was so embarrassing and shaming and everything else. Oh, I don't want to ever take that risk again. And so we shrink ourselves and we shrink our, our sense of self and our sense of identity and our beliefs and those beliefs that drive on here. We shrink everything. But when you come at it from the other way around, you say, well, actually, my first job is to know myself, right? Know myself, know myself, know myself. Okay. I'm getting a, some really, really good understanding of myself now. I, I know what moral frameworks I'm, oper I'm operating from. I know what belief frameworks I'm operating from. I know what my, my core essential values are, right? Can we go, okay, I, well, so I know those things, know myself. Next, and that invites us into the next phase, which is grow myself, right? So I say, well, I know myself to this degree, but I'm still not getting fully the kind of results in life that I really want to get. I haven't got the kind of wealth or the kind of relationship or the kind of health. So if I know myself like that, but I'm still not getting it, what are some of the ways in which I need to grow myself now? And this is where the, we start kind of focusing on the specific behaviors that, were, that would lead to that growth, right? When I say specific behaviors, but I'm talking really, I'm talking about commitments mm -hmm. because a behavior conducted once does nothing really, right? Every now and then you can flip a coin in the air and, and you know, call heads and it lands on heads and you, and you win, right? Every now and then we can, we can go for a project that we really didn't put much into and it kind of it came up trumps. But we're saying, I want to I wanna continuously win. I want, I want everything I touch to, if not turn to gold, at the very least, bring in a little bit of gold. <laughs> if, if not, if not turn, you know, kind of be, a, be an outright win, but be a, be a micro win in the direction I'm trying to go. That's what I want from now on. Well, that never comes from a one-off right, one action. So really, what we're, in terms of grow myself, what we're really talking about uh, what are the areas that I need to experience myself making some new commitments, right? And commitments are usually, they're fairly binary. It's to start something or to stop something, right? And to start something or to stop something, and when you, when you, you can't really make a commitment to that for life at the moment because we don't know who we're going to be tomorrow, but you can make a commitment for X number of days, for example. In the next 30 days, I'm going to go for a 30-minute walk, right? That's a commitment I'm going to make to myself. Can I ask you a question on this? Yeah. So when it comes to commitments, I find that saying, for example, I'm going to go on a daily walk. I find that quite straightforward because I can tick it when it's done. But to say I'm going to stop that. So my thing is chocolate. Chocolate is one of my weaknesses. So I'm going to stop eating chocolate. But that means for the whole day, I have to have that intention, which is harder. I think that's harder than saying, well, I'm going to go on a walk because I can tick that as done. So is there a way to reframe that so that the stopping yeah. is easier as the starting? Absolutely. Um, just like in, in the, where I'd said kind of it's, it's vital for us to have time and resources in order to kind of, you know, if we're really going to kind of be making the time and resources, we can also kind of look at those things that, um, that are much more like process based that kind of, for example, you, you know, do I have to keep reminding myself 30 times today that I'm not having chocolate, not having chocolate, not having chocolate? That's very time intensive and it also keeps the thing that, you're, that you don't want uppermost in your mind. So we can short, short circuit that whole process by, by using just two words, unless and until, <clears throat> right? I don't, I don't eat chocolate unless it's a Friday evening, right? Now we go, is it Friday? No, okay, I don't eat chocolate, right? right. Or until. I, 
let's say you're doing something so longer let's say you're doing it till you're not going to eat chocolate again until it's the second of november today so i'm not going to eat chocolate again until the second of of december and all right it was really simple oh i could really do a bar of chocolate is it the second of december yet no okay well if you're going to keep your commitment the answer is already no unless and until that's that's brilliant okay right and most people don't have unless and until placed into their into their kind of their their way of thinking and so i'm i'm actually this is one of the things i am very good at my it drives my drives my uh, family kind of nuts but i can be you know i i like i like wine i've drunk this weekend i've drunk three bottles of wine to myself right? <laughs> um just i i felt like i was in a wine drinking mood this weekend so i drank wine. but i've also now just made the decision okay i'm not actually drinking any i'm not drinking wine i'm not having cakes or candies or chocolates or most of what people would call treats again until the 20th of december now it's the second of november right it's not even a doubt in my mind about whether it happened that's the that's my lesson until it's already in place i'm i can't i'm not doing sorry goes back to that certainty piece again right where you were saying before about being certain on yourself when the lesson until then is going to work because you know you have that integrity and so a lot of people might listen to that and go well you know, I'm not, I don't have that kind of strength to, if you want to call it strength or whatever, right? But I don't have that kind of strength to make myself go six weeks without the chocolate. Like I'm, I'm talking about struggling to get through the day without eating a bar of chocolate and you're talking about six weeks, right? So it's, bear this in mind. Like, so I'm, I'm a big guy. I'm, you know, former personal trainer, former soldier. Um, I train in the gym every day. I lift really, really heavy weights. I didn't wake up one day and walk into the gym and was able to bench press 180 kilos. That's not how it happened. I, like everybody, the first time I bench pressed, I probably only bench pressed 20, 30 kilos. And then over time, it was 40. Then it's 50. And you can look at it the same way. So you don't have to set your, set your commitments to be six weeks just because Dax Moyer has done it for six weeks. Yours might be the week. Yours might be the next two days. Yours might be today. Your depending on, on how much of a craving, like if most days you eat a bar of chocolate before noon, you might say, okay, well, I, I, don't, I don't eat a bar of chocolate until six o'clock in the evening. If you already are, are getting to six o'clock in the evening, you might say, I, 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 I'm only having a bar of chocolate every other day, <laughs> right? Or it might, so it's up to us to set our own unless and until based upon who we know ourselves as being. We don't have to make, every challenge a really tough challenge we can pick one or two tough challenges in our life to, to face and a couple of easy ones we go well i i feel really certain that i can do this but whilst i feel certain i can do it i've not experienced myself doing it in a very long time so i'm going to set a few easier commitments and see myself stick see them through does that make sense yeah i love that that's that's amazing i love how it how you can then grow through making those commitments using that right. until starting stopping something. Because just like the weightlifting, right? right. Two, two days becomes three, three days become right. four, four days become right. five. Then it becomes a week. Then you go, um, basically every other week I'll, I'll have a bar of chocolate and a glass of wine at weekends. Right. Those baby steps, they feel like tiny in the moment, but yeah. actually they're not, are they? Like I think what you're saying here as well now is over time they compound something. They compound. And just like journaling compounds. Yeah. People that are new to journaling, the very first time they look at it, they, they see it's all kind of soft and fluffy and navel-gazing and fairly pointless. And like, you know what? I'm, I'm more of an action guy. Like, I just like to be able to be told what to do and get the hell on with it, right? 
And I don't see the point of asking myself all these questions and all the rest, but it compounds because those action guys and girls, I'm not saying all of them because some people do this as a mental process and they're fine. Like they're still asking themselves these kind of questions, but they're on the fly and they're, they're you know, they're, I'm, I'm very good at that. So I have a mix of actual formal journaling, but also in the moment questions. I ask myself questions throughout the day. Why did you do that? You said you're going to do that. Well, like, it, as I, you know, like anybody, I experience myself having resistance to certain things. I experience myself on the cusp of breaking a commitment and go, and they go, what even made you entertain breaking that commitment? And there's a process. There's that, well, what was going on? How were you feeling? What, was, what were, what time and resources hadn't you set aside or what, you know, whatever it has to be. So the, the main, the main point I want to get across here is that a, these things are a process, but the process is compound, right? So people are often talking about success, but all success comes from process. Right. All success comes from process. It, success doesn't, or it very rarely comes from an event. It comes from a process of things that led to it. And these behaviors are, they're a, they're a process that is based upon us learning to trust ourselves and know ourselves much more, much more deeply than we, we've ever known ourselves before. As we know ourselves, we choose the right direction to grow ourselves. As we grow ourselves, we start to show ourselves far more confidently and competently than before. And that, that's, that's really important. There's, there's two aspects. There's the confidence, but there's the competence, right? Well, if we follow a process, we've also gained the competence. We're going, oh, it's not just because one day I decided something was going to happen and I kind of, um, um, you know, I imagined it into existence kind of, kind of thing, right? It was because I followed a process and the process led me to, the, to what you are now seeing as my subject. A lot of people aren't doing that. So a lot of, a lot of people are getting caught up in the kind of the, the navel-gazy, airy-fairy, kind of fluffy aspect of the fantasy, not translating that into a process because it never becomes a process the success constantly eludes them right but i guess again the process that feels like going back to the certainty piece if you figured out the process you can almost predict the results because you're right. following this specific outline which then gives you the confidence to move into other areas right it's all it's all about kind of playing the odds in many respects right, right. we can't ever be 100 certain like i i put together offers and sales and courses and seminars and some of them sell out like gangbusters and others kind of they get they have a few people join. We can never be one hundred percent certain of the outcome. But if if we're basing our lives solely on the outcome, like if something must happen in order for, in order for us to feel happy and successful, then we're going to spend a lot of our lives feeling sad and sad and like failures because we don't have control of the outcome. We have control of the process. And the only thing I can do in life is meet myself as the person who kept my word and followed my process. And the universe is going to do what the universe is going to do at the, the other end of things. Right? I, don't, I don't even mean that in like a in the fluffy, or I say fluffy, I mean, I believe so many of these things myself, but I'm also a pragmatist and I'm also kind of, I'm, all, I'm always keen on saying, how do we take that amorphous, fluffy, dreamy fantasy idea and turn that into something that, like we can actually see, feel, smell, taste, touch, right? Kind of, I, I want to, I want to hold it in my hands. Mm -hmm. How do we, how do we do that? And it's always, always going to come back to this idea of turning something into a process and meeting myself as being the person who did it. If I get, if I put together an offer, 
And I wanted 20 people to take me up on it and only two people enrolled today. If I followed my process, I can still feel proud of myself and say, well, do you know what? Like kind of let's run the process again and see whether next time it does better. If it, if it doesn't, I can go, right. So the process I've created attracts two people. And I, I want a 20-person process. So which parts of my process need to be tweaked now in order for me to, for me to kind of, you want to call, if you will, fix it to, make, to mo- start to multiply the impact? And the next time I run it, I've fixed, I fixed a few links in the chain, and now I'm getting four people. I go, well, okay, well, that's better than two. And so what else needs to be fixed? And I can keep going back to my process and keep tweaking it. But all the way through that, I can still feel successful because I know that, a, my process works. It just doesn't work to the scale I'd like it to work, right? It helped me lose 10 pounds, but I've got 50 pounds to lose. So maybe, maybe what, what else do I have to do in my process then? Like what, what I'm really happy about 10, but there's another 40 and I really want that 10. But I can still feel really brilliant about having lost 10, right? Instead of feeling like a failure because I'm kind of started something, second day in went, um, I'm, I've ate a bar of chocolate, I've screwed everything up. I'm never going to get anywhere with this and go and still end up with my 50 pounds to lose. Right? People, people don't commit to their processes. And the process is the only real way to guarantee over time success. But that success isn't always the outcome. It's who you are as you're moving toward the outcome. Oh, I, love that. I trust myself completely. I have certainty about right. myself. I am the most attractive person in the room to right. myself. <laughs> I'm going to remember that one. <laughs> So Dax, if, if I was sitting over your shoulder and watching you journal, like, just talk us a little bit through your personal process for journaling, please. Um, so I have, I have two, two journaling processes per day. So I have my, my morning one. And really, it's about intention. Who do, who do I want to experience myself? Sometimes it's, it's what do I want to have accomplished as well, like specific outcomes. Um, you know, we all have things like, you know, like, um, uh, you know, actual tasks that need to complete. And so, so there will certainly be things like tasks, but a large part of it is, is who do I want to know myself as today? So that feels like a really intentional question. So can you talk us through what, why have you specifically chosen that question to answer? Um, because I've lost track of myself so many times in my life that um, it, it became, it showed itself to be a really vital question to be asked. And certainly, um, I, you know, I was in, in the tsunami. I carried a whole bunch of bodies and people around. I saved some people and lost other people and all that stuff. Um, and about eight, nine years ago, I started, suddenly started getting flashbacks and kind of, you know, since then I've had PTSD. So it, it left me alone for, you know, left, left me alone for kind of 10 years almost and then, and then hit me with the PTSD side of stuff. And during that PTSD, uh, in the early stages of it, I lost aspects of, time i lost back aspects of my identity my beliefs were shaken my um my sense of self and my sense of certainty like literally i thought i was going mad because i would have flashbacks i would i would see dead people in this room like literally kind of see them hear them smell them all kinds and what that process kind of taught me was how important it was to set an intention for who i was going to be not just how but who right because in that in that first stage, naturally, I was really shaken up by it, and I kind of I would spend periods of my day just kind of like staring at the wall in shock and bursting into tears for no reason and all that kind of stuff. Right, kind of as you can imagine. And there came a point where I, I'd become acutely aware that this just 
wasn't how I wanted to experience myself. Like, not even just what I wanted to do, but like who, who I wanted to be. This isn't, it was, it was nothing like how I'd ever known myself. This certain, even, even slightly cocky guy, right? Kind of in my youth, kind of was like, like maybe not arrogant, but certainly a little, little bit cocky. I was so certain of myself. And there was no stage I wouldn't get on, and there was no podcast or interview I wouldn't give. Uh, it, was, it was in the news and newspapers and all that kind of stuff. And I found myself just being like, I, I don't want to speak to anyone. I don't want I don't want everyone to kind of look into my eyes and see that I've gone kind of like insane up and all the rest of it. And I was so emotionally turbulent at the time as well. And so, so it really kind of brought out the question, like, who do I want to be today? Like, who do, who do I want to be? How do I want to know myself? And, you know, in the early stages, because things were so, um, so tumultuous for me, that really what I, what I wanted to know myself was, as was at peace, which was a big part because I was definitely not at peace at the time. Um, calm, because like, I, I, would, I would go through these periods of being almost comatose to going the other direction to being like fairly manic. Like, and it kind of, it was, it was a bit like bipolar. And, you know, other aspects. So I was saying, well, I want to be at peace. So I want to calm. And then that, that then begs the question, okay, so if you really wanted to be at peace today, how would your day start? Right? And now that starts inviting me into the questions of, like, how much time am I going to set aside for things? And how, like, so I'd go, well, my day would start. I'd probably go and spend a little bit of time by myself over in, over in I have my, my man cave, my shed at the bottom of the garden, right? Mm-hmm. Some time over there. Um, read some inspiring, uh, like I read Rumi and Hafiz and kind of some inspiring kind of poetry and things like, things like that in the morning. I listen to some music, play my guitar. I'm not really great with the guitar, but kind of, a, you know, I, I only took up the guitar once, once all this happened because I couldn't actually meditate. So I really desperately wanted to meditate. Every time I sat down to meditate, I would get flashbacks. So it made things worse. So the guitar became a form of meditation, which was, repeating a pattern over and over again whilst remaining calm and kind of, you know, follow it, following something rhythmic like, like breath and all the rest of it. And so that then, that then asked the question, so what, what time will you need and what resources will you need? Right. So, okay, if, it, if every day I start, start my day an hour by myself over there with my, with my books already laid out for me in the morning, my, my guitar and its guitar stand ready, ready to go, um, some music already plugged into the iPod, I'll go over there, click that, do this, do this, and then that would be the process that I would follow. And if I followed the process of starting my day the way I said I wanted to start based upon who I wanted to know myself as, I want to experience myself as calm and peaceful and centered, then that's what would happen. It's a great and lesser degree. Like some days I came out and I was still a little bit on edge, but, but it would always be better than having not done it. And I would sense the difference. Like there'd be some days where I just didn't do it. And the winter mornings, it was dark, you know, I couldn't go down takes a while for the shed to warm up and all that kind of stuff and I, I would skip it and i would notice that oh, i'm starting the day this isn't how i want to be i'm already snapping at the family and i'm already you know kind of feeling a bit down and dark and all that kind of stuff so that's that's where that came from the, the deciding who you want but so you know that has that's something that's worked for me personally but certainly the clients that i work through like you know once I, I start to apply that question to them like how do you want to know yourself this morning who do you want to be as, as you know how do you, and you can ask yourself at specific points in the day, who do I want to be? Is this who I said I'd be? Right? It, it, this gives us very skillful check-in points. Who did, who did you say you wanted to start your day as? I want to start my day as this. Okay, great. 
In order to do that, what time and resources will you need to make that happen? This. Okay, have you got that time and resources set aside? Yes. Okay, go and bloody we'll do it. By the time noon, noon comes around, like, so then, you know, you've got, we all have different phases of it. I can't just stay calm and peaceful all day. I've got work to do and I've got projects to take care of and I've got clients to look after and all the rest of it. Okay, so I've got a client where client at two o'clock this afternoon. Who do I want to be when I get on that client call? Okay, you want to be, you know, clear, direct, um, compassionate, kind of powerful, influential, all of these different things. Right, great. In order to be that person at that time, what resources and what time do you need in order to become that person? Okay, well, so I need I need a good 30 minutes before my call to go and, for example, maybe read over her previous call notes, um, to listen to a certain type of music that I know elevates me and lifts me, to, um, to kind of, you know, do X, Y, and Z, any number of things, right? But um, if I want to be that person, and then later on in my day, I'd be saying, right, because sleep was a big problem for me. For, for about a year and a half, I was getting by on about 90 minutes of sleep and I was driving insane. I would go, go to bed on, on like, like wired and I'd have all these replays in my mind and I'd basically be up walking, walking the house at two, three, four, five, like in the morning. So who do you want to be as you go to bed? I want to, again, I want to get back to calm and peaceful and serene and all of these kind of things. Okay. And, and joyful and, and all that. Right. Okay. So if you want to be those things, what needs to happen as you're getting into bed? Okay, I need to, I need to have not looked at my phone for the for the two hours before bedtime. I need to have switched off my laptop. I need to have done this. I need to, and there's a process again, right? And that process is lending itself to me then being the versions of myself that I need to be in order to operate in the way that I fantasize for myself. So we turn fantasy into reality. We don't, we don't we don't just say, oh, wouldn't it be nice if, and then hope that somehow today gives you that gift of of being who you most want to be sometimes it does because it's the coin flip right but we don't want to rely on the coin flip we want to be able to say more often than not i'm exactly or if not exactly but i'm very close to who i set out to be who you set out to be is going to inform what you then do right because all those other things i've described the process so doing is a process so you know kind of but how do we ever know if the process is going to be the right process until we've determined who we want to be. Right. Right. Most people start at the other end. Remember, know yourself, grow yourself, show yourself. Most people start at the other end. They start out saying, well, what do I need to get done today? And that, got, that what get done today is what goes on their list. Really, the most important question is, who do I need to be in order to do that, whilst also, also doing it in a way that is congruent with how I most want to experience myself? I don't just want to get tasks done today. I want to, you know, for this call, I want to show up powerfully and influentially. I want to elicit thought. I want kind of people to hear that. And, and whether it be agree with me or disagree with me, we go, that's an interesting way. Like, there, there's an intention for coming on this call. I don't just say, well, hopefully I'll get on a call and say something moderately interesting. Right? It's not to say I'm sat here with notes or anything, but it's kind of, these are all things that I think about before I do calls, for example. I, I've already determined determine who I want to be during the course. So who I want to be is going to inform then what I say and how I say it and, and so on and so forth. That's so powerful. I love that, that idea of choosing, like deciding who you're going to be and allowing that influence everything. Rather than being that task person, it's just doing, 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 like being, who you're being. It's, that's, such a, that's such a beautiful way to, to live. 
thanks and thank you for sharing your story about the, the tsunami and sharing some of that background that's already oh, yeah it's, it's an important part i mean uh, actually you know my um my coaching certification and my mind map program that was only born born out of the ptsd side of stuff as well because um until then i had um you know i was the goals guy i've written books on goals and things like that and seminars and workshops and all the rest of it it's mostly kind of if you want something badly enough you know write it down set an intention go pursue it with all vigor right and that's kind of to me because up until that point in my life i'd only ever really known myself as a person who wrote his goals down went out and got them and that was it and it wasn't until i met myself as a person who had all these ideas for what life could be for me and would sit staring at walls with kind of crying with you know it's not running down your nose kind of thing right it was, uh, it was only when I met myself as that, I went, ah, oh. so the, the goals part and the kind of the fantasy part and dream a big enough dream and we'll just do it. It's not that it doesn't work, but it only works in very specific circumstances. Makes sense. Um, what, what about those of us who find ourselves in very different circumstances? Like what's, what's, the, what's the solution for us? And I'd never been one of those us. I'd always been on the other side where it's just like, if you want it, work hard, go get it, make it happen. Mm-hmm. And now suddenly I felt I met myself as the person who could barely get out of his pajamas in a given day, right? And so that, that kind of informed a lot of my, um, my pursuit into, into neuroscience and the understanding of, of what's really going on kind of beyond the goals, beyond the desires, beyond the dreams, beyond the fantasies. And so what is it that's really informing our behaviors? So you just mentioned mind map there, um, Dax. So I'm curious, can you tell, tell our listeners, like, if they're interested in exploring the work you do, like what kind of things have, have you created and where can we find you? Yeah, so um, Mind Map is a, it's, it's not kind of the, uh, the bubble drawing kind of thing. It's literally, a, it's, a, it's a life coach certification, if you want to call it that, a coaching certification that is based in the neuroscience side of things rather than the positive psychology and goal setting side of stuff, right? So like I say, it, it's not, it's not at odds with that. It's not kind of saying that setting goals and being positive isn't useful. But what it is saying is that the positive psychology approach to coaching, which is the, by far the most popular approach, which is most coaches are saying to people, what is it that you want to achieve? Okay, what's getting in the way of that? Uh, okay, let's set you some goals and some action steps and get your, get your bum moving in the direction of, <laughs> direction of those goals. And I'll support you through that. And it's, it's great for, for the right people. It's great. But for the far larger portion of society, and particularly now, like, you know, with the pandemic and everything else going on, when, when people are facing a great deal of uncertainty, um, financial uncertainty, health uncertainty, relationship uncertainty, mm-hmm. then we've got all the elections and everything else going on, which is not just the US, but is, is actually going to affect kind of the, the kind of the global outlook as well. There's a lot of uncertainty in the world. And when uncertainty becomes a, becomes a dominant feature of a person's life, our behaviors change, and they, they change quite dramatically. Right? Remember, because all of, all of our behaviors are based upon our ability to kind of create these positive predictions and responses. Right. So what, what's going what's gonna to happen? And if it happens, what do I need to do? Well, that all changes how we see ourselves and how we identify ourselves. That all changes. As you've no doubt seen on social media recently, kind of, you normally very nice people are saying some pretty foul things to other people just for believing things. So what the mind map approach does is it takes away the idea that kind of that goals are the aim, that just taking action is the aim, that just 
having positive thoughts and kind of if you you know if you if you think it will happen kind of stuff it, it removes those those aspects and starts to look at what giving the brain what it really wants and needs in order to operate at its highest function so one of the ways in which i describe um describe the role of a coach is not so much that we're we're there to bring about um kind of the the goals or anything like that but ultimately to help our clients get back to their human brain because when we're in our human brains, we are the most intelligent, the most eloquent, the most caring, the most compassionate, the, the most creative, right? When we're in our human brains, kind of, so if you go by the old model, kind of left and right brain, the, the right brain is all the creative aspect, kind of all the future-based thinking, or the dream, the big dreams, the house on the hill, the kind of wouldn't it be nice ifs. And the left is the logical brain that kind of says, well, how do I make that happen? What's the process? What's the what's step one, two, three, four, and five? How do I make that happen? We only really get to use that, and I call that the playground of, of the brain. We only get to use the playground of the brain once the other aspects of the brain have gotten all of their needs met. And that includes the, the social aspects, the safety aspects, the physiological aspects, and all of that. And so what MindMap does is it helps coaches to better understand the needs and requirements of, of the brain, and what, most specifically their own brain, so that they can go out and help other people. And what's What's been really, um, really powerful about this is that literally one, 100% of the coaches that have been through the MindMap program have reported that their own lives have changed for the better as a result of going through the program, which is really, really important, right? Because that way, that way, when you go out into the world and you start coaching your clients, you don't have to try and persuade them or cajole them or, or you know, keep, keep trying to kind of say to them, come on, this, this really does have some some positive impact when, once you've lived it and your health has gotten better and your relationships have gotten better and your business is getting better and your sense of certainty and attractiveness of self is is all going up it becomes the easiest thing in the world to stand up in front of other people and say i, I can help you whereas so many coaches uh they talk about that kind of having having that sense of sense of imposter syndrome that being fake like am i really far enough along to to help other people, let alone charge money for helping other people, right? Can, and imposter syndrome is a real problem amongst coaches. So what the MindMap program does is it applies all of the learnings to you first before ever inviting you to go out and say, hey, I'm some kind of coaching expert and go and help the world. Awesome. So I'll include the links for, for MindMap in, in the show notes. Lovely, thank you. Dax, this has been like the most amazing conversation. Like, thank you so much. Just we just covered so many things. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's just been. It's just, so I've had so many takeaways, and so I've got one more question for you. It's the question I always end the show on. If you could give our listeners a journaling prompt or question to answer, what question would you invite them to ponder over? Good question. I, I think it's pretty much what what I just what I just said, which is. Who do I want my, want to know myself as today? Brilliant. Um, it's probably the most. It, it's the meta question, like, because everything else you ask is is going to be subservient to that. I love that question. Thank you so much for sharing that. So we'll make that into a journaling prompt, which will be available in the show notes that you can download and 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 journal away. So, Dax, just to finish off, I just want to thank you so much for your time today. This has been epic. Um, all the all your details and contact details, etc., are included in the show notes. So people can reach out to you 
And so everyone, this is a wrap for this new episode of the Writing Was Best Self podcast. And I look forward to seeing you again super soon. Thank you so much, Dax.